Welcome everyone to episode fire scene, excuse me, episode 17 of the Fire Nuggets podcast. Tonight is December 9th and we're psyched to have Nick Peppert as our guest. The goals here are simple, bring in great guests and try to mine as much gold from them as possible. Um, tonight it's going to be uh, Jeff Bryant and myself, Nick Ledeen, uh, talking to, to Nick. So Nick, how are you doing tonight, man? Doing good, bro. Thanks for having me on the show, man. Yeah, I appreciate you, uh, you coming in here, man. We appreciate that. Um, all right. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I know you're a captain at Holly Navarre on fire district or on a, uh, E41. Is that right? Yep. I've been engine 41 on the district's West side. Uh, been there the last, uh, three years. Kind of like long walks on the beach. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, man. Uh, yeah. Been, been on the fire service coming up on 17 years, brother. Um, been kind of hitting the training and stuff hard, uh, the last, uh, probably eight or nine years, especially, um, and, uh, what else you want for me? <laughs> you want what you want to know, brother? Uh, so you're the uh, vice president, local forty six ninety five, right? I am. Yep. How long you been doing that? Oh, let's see here. I've been on the board. Well, I was treasurer before this, and I've been on uh, the board for the last probably off and on the last three years, I guess. Um, I was on for a couple of years off for a short sabbatical, and then back on uh, elected as uh, vice president uh, a little over a year ago. Well, good for you. I'm, I'm, I'm sure those, those around you are thankful for your, your time and energy into that. I know that the guys I see on my job take a, a lot of time, you know, putting, putting into it for, for the, the brothers and sisters around them. Yeah, man, it definitely is uh, one of those, you know, anybody doing union work knows it's uh, sometimes a thankless job. You're doing a lot of work behind the scenes, but uh, definitely, definitely for the greater good. So I think that's hopefully why most, most guys get into it and try to drive the organization forward in a positive way. So, uh, yeah, man, honored to be there. Um, and this might not be as sexy to some people, but you're also, you're, you're one of the busiest guys, uh, on the job. Um, and we're going to get into a lot of that as, as we go down through this kind of intro. Um, but you're also a medic with lifeguard ambulance service. Yeah, I, I uh, do this one of the, one of the side hustles, um, uh, just try to keep my medic skills up, man. We're, uh, you know, a little extra money, keep medic skills up. I've uh, been off and on. Well, I've been back with them for uh, about four, going on five years, uh, just doing a little side work here and there, uh, usually two, three, maybe four times a month uh, on average. But uh, yeah, man, uh, <laughs> riding the boo-boo bus. I know it's not sexy, but someone's got to do it. Someone has got to do it. Um you're an instructor with the Northwest Florida State College Fire Academy. What a what a very long acronym. Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah. How uh, <laughs> how long have you uh, how long have you been there? Kind of. What do you teach? What do you prefer to teach? Yeah. So uh, the the fire academy. It's just a recruit school uh, in the state of Florida. You got to have uh, fire two to get a career fire job. So it's the uh, fire academy from uh, start to finish uh basically teaching them the the basics uh trying to get them uh, ready for their state certification tests that they got to get to get a job um so been with the, the academy i think since 2019 i got uh picked up with them and i'm up there uh you know uh as often as they'll let me be i try to try to get in there it's been a good opportunity though to uh, kind of i like to think uh you know contribute to the next generation of firefighters um so that's kind of why i got into it is it's a way to kind of hopefully leave a little bit of an impression in a good way uh, for guys getting on the job. So all the students that are there are uh, most of them have zero experience. 
Um, or if they do have any experience, maybe a short stint as a volunteer, they decide they want to do it as a career. So uh, pretty fortunate, though, to be able to mold young minds, I guess, uh, corrupt young minds, whichever way you want to look at it. I like how you worded that. One of my favorites here uh, to the busiest man, at least in North Florida, um, you're in, excuse me, you're the president and co-founder of the North Florida Fire Expo. Can you tell us a little bit about what kind of brought you into that, uh, into starting that? And then tell us a little bit about what you got going on and, and how awesome that is. Yeah, man. Uh, so <laughs> this is kind of not something that uh, set out to do, honestly. Um, you know, I've been going to fire conferences uh, for a pretty good while now. Um, you know, backing it up a little while, uh, probably uh, about a decade ago. Uh, yeah, right out of 10 years now. Uh, I had a call where we had a uh, you know, I was about six, I guess, six, seven years on the job at this point. Yeah. And, uh, had a call where a rescue that we had didn't go as well as I thought it should have gone. We saved the guy's life. He lived, but I beat myself up because in a lot of ways I was just kind of, you know, uh, I felt like I, you know, six, seven years in your job, you feel like you're, you're, you know, good to go. Right. You feel like you're comfortable. Like I got this thing down and we had this call. And like I said, we ended up finding this guy pulling this big ass dude out of a fire and it, it what my ass ran out of air before we got out of the building and, you know, having to pull my regulator out a whole lot of, a lot of stuff that could have gone a lot worse. Um, and I walked away, everybody's patting me on the back saying you did a great job. And I walked away thinking, man, my training has failed me, you know, to the, to that point, I, I felt like, man, I just, I don't know what I don't know kind of thing. So I started out on this quest to get better at the job and got fired back up, went to uh, my first fire conference. It was Mafsey. Uh, uh, you know, I went to Massey was like the first year they opened the second year, uh, they very young conference, but it just got me fired up, man, getting around other like-minded guys that were passionate about training. And, uh, that kind of started, uh, you know, kind of sparking me to start really giving a shit about training more and getting outside my bubble. And so fast forward, you know, started going to a bunch of conferences, as many as I could go to trying to get better at the job, learn more about the job, uh, you know, pissing a lot of people off along the way. Cause <laughs> I found out that others are not nearly as excited about the stuff that I'm bringing back as I am uh, sometimes. And, uh, but yeah, no, I started going down that road. And so it was probably about uh, five years ago that uh, uh, started kind of dabbling and teaching a little bit. And at first it was just like, you know, the state level, uh, you know, fire officer classes, driver classes, things like that, just basic level stuff. Uh, and someone told me like, Hey, you know, uh, there's a conference down in South Florida that's looking for instructors, you should put your name in the hat. And uh, I never taught at a comp, you know, anything outside of my area. It was all local up to that point. And so I put in and went down there and taught in uh, South Florida uh, at the Great Florida Fire School down in Fort Myers. Uh, Joey DeVito uh, gave me a shot. Uh, first time ever getting outside my bubble. So I was nervous as hell, man. But gave me a shot and uh, man, I loved it. I had a blast. I mean, I, I felt like I learned as much as the students did. I was just having a blast training with a bunch of passionate firemen. And, uh, so that, you know, kind of happened and, and learned a lot. And I walked away. I was like, you know, okay, maybe I can, you know, start sharing some of my passion a little bit about some of the stuff I you know love to do and kind of got some nudges from some senior guys like, Hey man, get out there and share, you know, share your love for the job man. share your passion, you know, share what you love to do. So I started doing a little bit more, putting in for more stuff. Uh, long story short, that following year, we had a uh, member, uh, in our department, uh, one of our admin, uh, ladies got uh, breast cancer. And she was, she was, uh, not doing well. And so we were, uh, myself and Mike Hall, uh, my buddy up here, 
we're back down in Fort Myers again, teaching uh, at the, the second year in a row at the Great Florida Fire School. And we're sitting there drinking beers one night and we're like, man, we need to do something to like raise some money, man. Cause medical bills are expensive. Cancer is not cheap. Like, you know how that goes, man. And so we start kicking around ideas about golf tournaments and this, that, and the other. And finally we're sitting there. I, I was like, dude, what do firemen like to do? Like they like to drink beer, break shit and do fireman stuff. You know, let's, that's, that's, that's what we like to do. So, so then we're like, well, why don't we do a training event and raise money for, uh, raise money for, you know, Miss D, uh, and, and, and her cancer treatment and stuff. And like, so this would be a great idea. So in it, when we first started talking about it, we got a napkin, we're sitting at the bar, we got a napkin and we start writing down notes and like, Hey, you know, what can we do? What are some ideas for training? And, uh, so yeah, so we went down that road of like, first it was like, Hey, maybe we'll do like a one day seminar thing. And then it was like, you know what, screw this. If we're going to do this, let's just do this thing. Let's make this thing, you know, a, a big deal and, and try to raise, you know, as much money for her as we can. So, um, so we kind of came up with the name North Florida Fire Expo. We're like, hey, let's just, you know, keep it simple. And the first year, like I said, we had no idea what we were doing. Clueless, bro. Clueless, did not know what we were getting into. Uh, so I started calling around, asking people questions, trying to find out what other people are doing, taking our own experiences at fire conferences, things we liked, things we didn't like, and just try to build this, this conference, man. And uh, we knew we needed a keynote. We stepped out on a limb, and I was like, you know, I'm just going to – you know, see what we can do. And I reached out to Anthony Avillo and I was like, Hey man, we really could use a keynote. I I'm expecting him to be like, bro, I either tell us a price that we just could not afford or <laughs> like, we have no money, dude, like zero money starting this, like none other than some, a little bit of personal cash that, between Mike and I. And uh, so we started calling around for sponsors. We got, you know, some pretty good sponsors up front uh, and called Avillo. And he was like, dude, I'm, I'm in. He's like, just get me there. You ain't gonna, you, know, you ain't gonna pay me told you know so i was like holy shit so we started putting this thing together and it kind of just like you know the first year we didn't know what to expect we we're like hey let's just do something and we ended up raising when all the costs were paid everything was done we still were able to write a check for 10 grand to give to her and so that was That's it awesome. like we and so we thought we were done like this is like not something that we were like hey we're going to do this long term like it was just like we want to do something to raise money so that's kind of what our intent going in was like hey let's just let's just do a badass event and give her some money well, the feedback we had the whole time during that first year, and then after that, like months after that, we're still getting people reaching out like, hey, dude, are you guys going to do this again? Because this is awesome. Like, you really, really need to do this, blah, blah, blah. So Mike and I, you know, probably, I don't know, you know, you got to keep in mind, I mean, this is like COVID, we're in the heat of COVID. Like right after our first year, like two weeks later, they shut the state down. Like everything was shut down. So, uh, we, we were very fortunate to get it in when we did, but, uh, so then we're like, we don't know what's going to happen with COVID. Can we do this again? Is this even going to work? And so we started making some phone calls and, and starting to reach out to people that, Hey, would you be interested in teaching blah, 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 and kind of laying it out there. And, uh, within a couple months, it was pretty obvious that like we had enough support. People were wanting to do it. People were tired of COVID already. Like, like six months in people were tired of COVID. Like they're like, we're over it. And, uh, so it was a little shaky ground. We didn't know a lot of conferences canceled, uh, last year because of COVID. And so we had a lot of sponsors that were on the fence. Like they didn't want to give us money up, up front because they're like, Hey, we want to see what's going to happen. So a lot of it came in last minute, like sponsors, like, okay, we're, we're still go. Okay. Good deal. Um, so we put together last year's event and dude, last year was just, it blew us away. Like we didn't, you know, we didn't know what to expect because it was only our second year. And we were kind of just like, you know, Hey, let's take what we learned last year. Let's try to make it even better and make a better training event. And dude, it was awesome. Last year was great. Um, and 
So then it was like, guys, you know, the more and more excitement guys are getting excited about it. It was like, Hey man, let's just keep, let's keep the momentum going. Let's keep building. Let's grow this thing. So this year, dude, we've got 17 uh, or instructors from 17 different States coming in. Um, we've got uh, 17 different lectures, 16 different hot classes at uh, five different hot sites. Uh, dude, we've added hot sites. We've added live fire capabilities. Uh, we've added, dude, just, just a, uh, honestly, I, I'm, I couldn't be any more proud of, of the group of guys we got coming in, man. I think that just everybody that's coming in loves the job, is passionate about training, is about the fire service, about the brotherhood. Um, and so that's kind of what we did, man. It started, what started off as a, uh, uh, an idea on a napkin in a bar uh, over a couple beers to try to give some money back to one of ours that was in need um, kind of blossomed into an event where guys were like, Hey, we're looking forward to this. We want to do this. And uh, yeah, so we're full steam ahead, man. Uh, so kind of got into it by accident. Uh, it was kind of just, uh, it was supposed to be a one and done thing. And uh, we, we had such positive feedback, man. Like I said, that uh, uh, we decided to keep it running, man. But uh, you know, it's, it's something that, you know, I'm passionate about, man. I love training. I love, you know, giving back to the fire service. And this is just, it's become a, a way to kind of, you know, bring people together uh, for, for common good and, and to make, make the fire service better, um, push, push the, uh, the industry forward in a, in a good way. Like I said earlier, um, that's kind of what I'm about, man. So that's, uh, that's where we're at, dude. We're in going into year three, full steam ahead. And, uh, yeah, 2022 is going to be kick-ass dude. Got a bigger venue. Uh, yeah, I got some more, uh, you know, people involved, so it's, uh, it's growing. Yeah, it's a great conference. And, uh, for those listening, just a couple of people that are, that are slated, a couple of the instructors that are going to be there. You got Julio Ramos, you got Jay Bonifield, you got Dustin Martinez, you got Mike Galliano, Corley Moore, <clears throat> you got RJ and Cameron Peak and Port City and and sean duffy and so many others uh avillo and so many just amazing instructors so the list that you guys have put together is just insane plus you're right on the beach um actually had a chance to go last year brought the whole family down it was just an awesome time you couldn't ask for a better venue um so if you're if you're on the fence and you're listening to this uh hopefully we just sold it for you <laughs> appreciate Aren't it you gonna be there too Badin? uh yeah i'm fortunate enough to go there as well i get to hang out with my uh with uh, Dustin Martinez again. So, okay, so, uh, so I'm just going to so, ride his coattails though. So you definitely sell yourself short. You know, you're, you, you definitely belong in there in that list of people you said too. I know you're too humble to say it, but Nick Ladine's a good man and he's the shit too. So he's, he's short and balding and not very smart. So, uh, you know, <laughs> but he likes going to Florida. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, and I, I can totally sympathize with your, with your highs and lows, you know, of, of, of conference making, you know, it's, it's definitely, uh, definitely gave me like probably some of those stressful, uh, moments <laughs> I've, I've had, you know, uh, Oh yeah. I, you almost kind of feel like Chris Farley, you know, grabbing your hair, like, Oh, I'm a failure, you know? And, uh, but, but then you also have very high, very high peaks, you know, and, uh, I, Nick and I have talked about this before, you know, uh, Florida has, has got it going on when it comes to conferences, man. Yeah. We're, we're fortunate, man. We really are. Yeah. Um, okay. So next thing you are the El Presidente and co-founder of the North Florida, I'm sorry, North Florida fire and EMS training. Yeah. So, uh, kind of going back to what I was talking about instructing, um, I started an LLC just so I can keep myself, you know, squared away and don't get sued. Um, 
<laughs> so <laughs> insurance policies and stuff. So I don't get, you know, lose my house. Um, but uh, started, you know, essentially um, doing certification classes. And that's kind of morphed into a little bit of everything, man. Uh, certification classes, American Heart classes, VFIS, EVOC, all you, you name it. Uh, you know, it's kind of morphed into, hey, I need this. Can you do this? <laughs> And so, uh, so like yesterday, I taught uh, a panels class. Today, I started a uh, apparatus operations class. So, uh, just all over the place with it, man. But uh, it's kind of the umbrella uh, company that the expo falls under. It's, I, I use the insurance for the company to insure the expo and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, it's uh, it keeps me busy. It definitely uh, changes the pace up a little bit. Uh, it's it's fun to was you know it's all local stuff pretty much. Uh, minus some of the conference stuff I've been fortunate to do the last couple of years, but most of it's uh, given back to the local uh, fire service as far as teaching. And I don't get outside the, the region too much. Uh, like I said, unless I'm going to a fire conference. All right. You also have your own podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about the make do podcast that you and Sean have? Yeah, man. Uh, so, so anybody who knows uh, Sean Duffy, which I'm pretty sure you guys are well acquainted with Mr. Duffy as he was on the show not too long ago. Uh, but, uh, you know, Sean and I, uh, you know, kind of ran into each other on accident, man. And uh, down at the Great Florida Fire School, he was cutting his teeth teaching out at the same time I was cutting my teeth. And uh, we kind of struck up a conversation uh, during tra after training one day. And uh, I guess you can call it bromance. <laughs> but but uh, Sean and I... Uh, you know, we just started talking, man, and we, we just had a lot in common. We were in this, on the job for about the same amount of time, had a lot of the same experiences and frustrations with certain things in our careers and just very, very eerily similar stories. And so we, we kind of started talking, man. And, uh, you know, Sean is uh, he's 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 a good dude, man. He's he's definitely definitely been a great friend. Um, but uh, it, along the way of con having conversation after conversation, uh, on the phone, our wives used to harass us. We were on the phone a couple hours at a time, sometimes, you know, talking fireman shit. And, uh, you know, my wife was like, oh, who are you on the phone with, Sean? Oh, I'll, I'll see you in a couple hours. <laughs> so, so we started uh, having this conversation about stuff like we felt like you go to these conferences sometimes and there's a huge emphasis, uh, you know, and, and rightfully so, there's a lot of great experience from the urban setting, right? But we're the, you know, majority, like I work, I work in a suburban fire department. Um, we're not a big job, you know. And so we started talking about some of the things that, uh, you know, guys will come back to the firehouse after going to a conference. And, uh, you know, sometimes they have to modify some of those tactics a little bit or those skills or, you know, the order and how we do things a little bit to, to make it work in our, in our setting. And so we were just kind of got talking about, man, like, you know, sometimes you just got to like, deal with what you got you know working off an ambulance to do fire stuff or working you know work, working short on an engine or whatever and so we started talking about how you know a lot of times in the in the there's the urban setting where you have a ton of resources then the rest of us they have to make do with what we have and thus the name make do uh suburban fireman podcast a little play on words make do d-u-e uh but uh the the idea was you know we started talking about the podcast We're like man we should just do a podcast dude we're like you know shoot the shit, have a good time. Talk, sorry, I cursed. Uh, so, so try to, you know, okay. Okay. Good. Um, radio edit. Right. So, but, uh, but no, we started talking about it. It's like, man, you know, maybe it'd be kind of cool to do a show, you know, and, and try to address fire service issues uh, from kind of a, a, a suburban spin, you know, from a, a setting from, you know, the guys that maybe sometimes have to, 
navigate the waters a little differently than our urban counterparts. And, and not that we're discrediting or trying to, you know, you know, dismiss any of that stuff because there's such great information out there uh, from some great urban firefighters um, from forcible entry to, you know, engine ops, all that. So there's, there's great stuff out there, but what we want to do is make guys that are listening to the show that are like, Hey man, you know, we're running a two man engine and you know, XYZ America, you know, ABC town, whatever uh, you know, uh, how can we apply some of that stuff to our setting in, in with our staffing? And so that's kind of what set us on that course, man. We, we just had, you know, numerous conversations where we were like, man, you know what, there's some challenges that uh, the suburban fire service faces as they try to keep up with, with growth, as they try to, you know, the rapid expansion in a lot of these neighborhoods where they're having unprecedented growth, but there's the fire department's kind of lagging, which is where a lot of the fire services, you know, where we're, you know, still trying to run calls, uh, uh, you know, like we did 15 years ago, and we've doubled our population and call load, you know, and so that's kind of what got us going down the path, man, was uh, we wanted to maybe a little different spin on some of the, the common fire ground issues. And so we were like, hey, let's do it. So, uh, yeah, we, <laughs> we made a podcast that we initially started off under the five alarm task force platform with uh, Steve Green. Uh, we did a handful of episodes with Steve. And after a few episodes, we were like, you know, we wanted a little more leeway to to do what we wanted with the show. And, uh, you know, to have a little bit more flexibility on scheduling and things like that. And so Sean and I branched off and uh, neither of us are very tech savvy. So <laughs> it was the first few episodes where took us a little bit of getting down a rhythm to figure it out. But uh, yeah, man, we're over a year in now. Uh, I've had some awesome guests uh, still still doing some pretty, uh, pretty fun episodes, man. So uh, I didn't consider myself a podcaster uh, starting out. So I definitely have learned a little bit uh, along the way, but I uh, feel like there's definitely some some sexier Rico Suave voices on the air. Uh, like said one, Corley Moore, who will be at the Expo. Uh, Corley, Corley's dialed in with the, with the webcast podcast stuff, man. So I, uh, I watch all, I watch everybody's stuff, man. I listen to all, you know, Fire Nuggets, uh, you know, Firehouse Vigilance, all that stuff. Um, I just, I love, you know, hearing other brothers fired up about the job. So that's what keeps me motivated with stuff like this, man, is being able to kind of, you know, pick brains of other guys that are into the job and talk and just, it's like having to sit here, having, having a drink and just sitting over a kitchen table, man. That's what I love about, uh, you know, technology. It lets us do this kind of stuff right here that maybe 10, 15 years ago, guys weren't doing. So, uh, yeah, that's where, that's where the show came from. And, uh, Sean is, uh, my co-host and, uh, the guy that keeps me from rambling too much sometimes. <laughs> So I hope that answer. I don't know. I'm, I'm rambling now. So no, it, it's, it's all good. Uh, I know Nick and I both, both like and appreciate your show. Um, and I, I'm not a podcast reader. You'll notice uh, pretty much all of our episodes. I always have the Dean uh, lead it off. Cause he has a way better voice than I do. You know, like he does DJ have a sexy, Suave. Yeah. He's got a DJ sexy Suave, radio voice. You know? I just don't and, say words uh, good sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you couldn't say 17, but it's okay. I know. Um, it's a hard so, word though in my defense yeah. it's a very difficult word yeah and, and like the, the the interesting thing uh nick p is uh i always have to scan the questions because i'm like uh i'm a hillbilly and he throws in like big words that i don't know what they mean <laughs> so then i just ask him like what, what does this word mean and then we change it in the show notes because i'm you know i'm a hillbilly so Good, um you are number two that we have interviewed that has completed 75 hard. What a badass. So <laughs> fill us in on that, uh, 
fill us in on that journey, man. What made you do it? Uh, how you did it and, and any tips, you know, I mean, I think people can, can just go and, and, and look up what it is, but kind of, kind of give some tips on what, what helped you get through it. Cause I mean, 75 days, that's a, that's a hell of a commitment, you know? Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> what got me going on the road? So, um, in 2000 and, uh, I guess it would have been 2018, uh, I broke my hand <laughs> and that was a little bit of a setback from work a little bit. I got back to work and, um, shortly thereafter I had my appendix, uh, <laughs> decided to go crazy. So that put me out of work for like, I don't know, uh, six weeks, eight weeks, whatever it was. Um, and then shortly thereafter I had a bulging disc in my neck and long story short, uh, I, I kind of used the, the injuries, you know, cause I was hurt and trying to recover. And I just, I, man, I wasn't working out like I should be. I, I started kind of eating like shit. Um, and I gained a bunch of weight, um, and just was really not happy with where I was at. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong. I wasn't like humongous, humongous, but for my, for me, I was, I was, I could tell a difference. I was more sluggish, tired, more tired all the time, just kind of, you know, and I, and I had let the, the injury stuff kind of slow me down, um, to where I knew I should be. Um, so, uh, I just got tired of it. I was like, you know, I'm tired of making excuses. Um, and I want to kick in the ass to get myself moving in the right direction, uh, with my physical health again and, uh, mentally to get in a better place. Uh, cause man, I, you know, I was gets discouraged and I was, I was pretty down, you know, down on myself, man. Cause I was like, man, I gained like 30 some pounds, dude. I was like, <laughs> you know, as big as I'd ever been. And, and not, like I said, not that I was huge, but for me, you know, I've, I've always been, you know, not a huge dude. So I was always, you know, 170, 180 was kind of my sweet spot for most of my early adulthood. And, uh, I was up to like 212, dude, and just fucking, uh, I was miserable with myself. And I just like, you know what? So my brother, who's a fireman on the job with us, he gave me this book, uh, 75 Hard by Andy Frisla. He's like, hey, dude, just just read it. See what you think. So he gave me this book, and I read it. You know, I'll be honest with you, I wasn't expecting anything. I was like, this is going to be another, you know, one of those gimmicky, like, BS, like, you know, books that just rah-rah make you feel better about yourself. And so I read it and I was like, damn, this dude's pretty, uh, he's, he's spent some truth right now. And it, it was kind of hurtful. I'm not gonna lie. It hurt my feelings a little bit. Um, because you know, the whole point of it, it's really not a physical workout program or a diet program or anything like that. They don't, in fact, he never tells you what diet or physical workouts to do. Uh, it's more of a mental, uh, toughness, a, a mental discipline, uh, program. So uh, that's the misnomer about it is, is it, although you do see some physical transformation, it's more about the mental discipline and the attention to detail. And so I was like, Hey man, I gotta, you know what, I'm going to do this thing. So I talked to my wife and she's like, I'll do it with you. And so anybody who knows anything about 75 hard. So basically you got to do two workouts a day, at least 45 minutes each. Uh, one of them has to be outside regardless of the weather. So rain, pouring rain, it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, cold, it doesn't matter. Um, hot as hell, like it doesn't matter. Uh, so you got to get one of them in outside. Uh, the other part is you have to pick a recognized diet. No, no cheat meals whatsoever. There's zero cheat days, zero cheat meals. And you have to do those two workouts every day for 75 days, no breaks, no, no rest days. Uh, you, there's, there's the diet you have to stick to. You can't even, even a little bit budge. I mean, you know, there's no cheat meals. There's no, I'm having a snack or I had a weak moment. Uh, so you have to drink a gallon of water a day. You have to read at least 10 pages of some sort of self-help type book, something that's going to make you a better person. 
uh, not fiction. Uh, and then you have to take a profile pic every day. And the whole point of it is, it's the discipline of taking the picture and the show you that you are making progress, that you are getting results. And so uh, I started it and was hit it hard. I got like 42 days in and I forgot the damn profile picture and I had to start over. Cause that's the thing. If you screw up anything at all, you have to start over. So I started over. <laughs> so, so what was supposed to be 75 days turned into like, what is that? Like a hundred and I don't know, 111, 115, something like that. I don't know. Uh, days, and um, long story short, that that whole process taught me a lot about myself. Uh, there was days where it's midnight and I'm out working out because I, I got to get it in. Right. I don't want to I don't want to fail. And uh, it was miserable, dude. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> the first couple months was brutal. Once I got the hang of it, it was I was OK with it. The biggest thing was just keeping yourself like organizing your time, staying on top of your stuff. And, uh, you know, but dude, I dropped I went from two. I was as heavy um, prior to starting 75 hard as 212. And when I finished 75 hard, I was down to, uh, I think I finished 75 hard at 181, I believe is where I ended up, or 182, something like that. Um, and I ended up getting as low as 176 uh, the month following that. So, um, but, you know, what it did for me is it kind of gave me a kick in the ass and made me realize, like, look, man, no excuses, no matter how you feel, how sore you are, how miserable you are. Just, just do the, do the work, you know, and it's stuff that I knew. I mean, like from the job, I, you know, I'm pretty good about like pushing with a job and stuff. I always, that was my excuse for not working out. Well, I'm physical at work. I do my, I train, I do stuff, but, but I realized like I'm losing the battle with, with my, you know, with what I'm eating or, or just my lack of, you know, time management with, you know, uh, uh getting my asset and gear and just get, you know, even getting, getting a workout in just something consistent. And that was my biggest thing was the consistency factor. So, uh, dude, it was, it was a kick in the ass. I lost a shit ton of weight. Uh, I feel great. I, I, uh, you know, have really, it's, it's challenged me to do better in a lot of other areas of life too. And it made me a better person, I think in, in the sense of realizing like, Hey man, just put your mind to it. You know, you can bitch or you can get up and do it, you know, and that's kind of where I got with it. So, uh, that was my journey. Uh, I know everybody's journey is a little different. But uh, for me, it was more of a, an eye opening thing. Like, hey, man, like even when you're when you're suffering, like just do the work, just do the damn work. Thank you for, for sharing that real quick little bonus question is, is what books did you read or anything from your journey at 70 with doing the 75 hard from the reading portion that you'd recommend to people? Yeah, let, let, me, uh, let me see the books up here. And we can circle back to that, too, if you want. Well, I, if you haven't read Full Contact Leadership, I recommend that. Um, I read, actually, believe it or not, I read The uh, Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. That was good. Oh, yeah. Um, I kind of hit it from all over, man. I had, uh, I had, <clears throat> trying to remember the name of the guy. Uh, what's that leadership? There's uh, the Maxwell. Was it Maxwell? Um, yeah, James, James Maxwell. Yeah, yeah. So he does that 21 year refutable laws of leadership. Uh, that was a good yeah. one. So uh, I read that. Um, there's a book uh, uh, trying to Sean Whalen, the guy that does the lions, not sheep. Uh, he does a podcast as well. Uh, he's got a book. I, I end up reading like five or six books, but uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I, I found stuff that I wanted stuff that challenged me, you know, something that made me a better person, a better, you know, I want to be, you know, I kind of honed in on some of the stuff as far as uh, personal success. And then also, um, the, the leadership stuff, uh, wanted to be a better officer as a captain. Uh, you know, I felt like there's stuff I needed to sharpen up on and get better at. So, 
uh, those were kind of the, the angles I took, but I think now I'm up to like, I don't know, dude, I'm like eight books in now since I started the program, eight or nine books in, um, which I was never a big recreational reader before that. So it was a, it was a feat for me to get through some of the books I did. Um, I actually got where I was reading more than 10 pages a day, just cause I actually found out that, Hey, I actually enjoy reading some of this stuff. So, so it was, a. I guess it made a, a reader, a recreational reader out of me. Yeah. I mean, I love podcasts. I love watching videos on YouTube, but there's nothing I love more than like a, a good, well-written book. Yeah, um, man. It's the only way that we can communicate with like Albert Einstein and, and Carl Sagan and all these other people that you admire that have since passed. So it's, it's pretty awesome. Um, my, my favorite question to ask in this, in this bio portion of the, of the interview is, is can you tell us a little bit about your family, your father, your husband, tell us a little bit about your family. So, yeah, man, um, as proud as I am about, you know, the fire department and the fire service, I I gotta, I gotta be straight, man. Um, uh, I, I am damn proud of my, my family, man. I love my wife and kids. Uh, I've been married to my wife, Ashley for the last, uh, 13 years. Um, and, uh, met her uh, I was a couple years on the job when we met uh, as a young fireman and uh, I still think it was the uniform that got her but whatever hey works for me so <laughs> now it's uh now we met man and uh just hit it off and and uh so we've we've uh, been through a lot of stuff together man we've we've kind of uh you know the ups and downs of the fire service life man and uh you know we come out on the other side I think better stronger for it so um, definitely, uh, she's, she's put up with a lot of my shenanigans, uh, and, and, um, you know, hours away from home sometimes, you know, um, doing, doing fireman stuff. So, uh, very, very blessed to have my wife, Ashley. And then my, my two kids, uh, Ava is eight and my son, Nolan is five. Uh, and, uh, it's polar opposites, you know, Ava's the girly girl, like she's all into, you know, doing her hair and nails and music and art and crafts. And that's just, she's 100% like, if you can just imagine, you know, a little blonde hair, blue eye, like, like she, she's like my little doll, man. She, and my son is a fucking hellion. <laughs> it's the exact opposite. Uh, he is hell on wheels from the moment, you know, the moment he wakes up to the moment he lays down. Uh, he, he's going to be a fireman. There's no doubt in my mind. It, it hurts my heart to say this. He's probably going to be a truck guy because of he has an affinity for breaking stuff. Uh, he's really good at breaking stuff and being really, really loud. So um no they're they're awesome kids man they're they are uh just just very fortunate like i said to uh they're both healthy uh you know i've been very uh, blessed to have to be their dad you know it's uh it's been a lot of fun to watch them grow the last couple of years they're getting that age now where they're like little sidekicks now so uh i've been trying to like you know bring them around the firehouse you know trying to hey like you know uh most of the guys that i've worked with that you know for any length of time you know they're uncle so-and-so whatever you know and, and that's that's pretty cool man it's cool to see because uh, i didn't have that man i'm a first generation fireman uh and so yeah being able to raise my kids around the fire service and and uh, so many of the people that they've got to to meet uh, because of the fire service has been pretty cool so um I, I don't know that they really know exactly what dad does other than they just know that i make a lot of you know <laughs> they just know that dad gets in the on the fire truck and it goes wee woo and you know they don't really, I don't think they really understand completely what I do, but Hey, they think it's cool for now. So I'll take it. Yeah, I can appreciate that. I think my son wakes up at two in the room. He goes, what am I going to tear up today? So, <laughs> um, all right. Well, great bio. Um, so 
kind of if 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 we're looking at uh, North Florida or or Florida in general, um, it seems the the area that you were around sees some of the most uh, hungry and engaged firemen uh, around. So would you say that this is an accurate perception? And if so, uh, any idea what's so special about the Florida or North Florida area? Um, what do you got going on there? Uh, I think it's something that now, now I was going to say it's in the water, but no, it's, it's not honestly, man, it's intentional effort. Um, and, and I'll be honest, it's not, you know, I don't think, uh, anybody, you know, could, could mention the area without, you know, uh, chief Ike and, and some of those guys that have kind of cut the path, I guess, you know, years prior, but, but even like, you know, even as a young fireman, I remember coming up, man, it just seems like, I don't know if it's because there's really no big fish in the sea, so to speak, where we're just a bunch of small, uh, smaller, or, you know, suburban departments for the most part, uh, Scambia County's, you know, the kind of the exception for size, everybody else has got, you know, five or six stations or less. Um, and so, uh, I think that's, that's part of it is there's a very competitive environment because everybody's vying for the same firemen and going to the same fires and training. So everybody runs mutual aid, automatic aid, like, uh, which I think is good. And then also, like I said, I think the CFT conferences have kind of spawned some, some, uh, you know, uh, focus, if you will, on, on the firefighters in the area. Um, and I think, you know, some of those guys like chief, like, like I said, has, has been pretty influential in influencing the culture, uh, locally. But I think part of it too, man, it's just the area, you know, um, as far as we can get to Massey in a few hours, Orlando fire conference. I mean, there's so many great training, you know, Fort Lauderdale fire expo. I mean, uh, you know, like I said, all the CFT stuff, uh, you can get to lift conference in Louisiana. I mean, there's so many conferences, uh, that are within like striking distance of our area. And I think that's been a big play in it too, is the fact that, uh, we, we definitely seem to have a lot of great training opportunities afforded to us. So I think it's a combination of, of some key players that have blazed the path before, um, and kind of, uh, kind of, you know, beat that drum loudly in the past. And then a combination of guys realizing like, Hey, you know, um, they're hungry. They want to go, they want, you know, all the stuff that guys talk about, they want to get this training. And then they realize like, Hey, I can go to Atlanta a few hours away. Um, cause I remember probably, I don't know, it's been seven or eight years now. Uh, some guys from Crestview and, and some of the Fort Walton guys are all like, Hey, let's, we're going to Mapsy, man, come on. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I jumped in and, you know, and it was, like I said, I, you know, got to go to Mapsy, uh, you know, well, shoot, it's been a decade now, but, but, you know, and, and stuff like that really, I think is contagious, man. Guys come back and, and it's, it's been, it's been a struggle. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm going to be very transparent here. So not, it didn't start out like we have this, all this, these guys in the area that are just like gung ho, uh, as you can imagine, there's resistance anytime someone's bringing new stuff in. But I think the more guys started going to this stuff and going to these extracurricular training events, the more excitement they started bringing back. And what happened is the guys that were disgruntled started kind of getting pushed to the background. You know what I'm saying? You started having these hungry firemen that were coming on the job. They have these other firemen who got beat down four or five years in the past. Like, Hey man, like, come on, let's just ignore those guys. Come on. So they started to influence. I think that the, the hungry firemen that the handful that there were it kind of multiplied. It was like, you know, they'll bring, you know, if I, it's like this, if I, if I can influence a couple guys and you can influence a couple guys and, and so on and so forth before long, we have a, a whole group of, of, you know, firemen that are hungry, that are going to training and going above and beyond to get better. And what's kind of happened with, over the course of time, man, is like, I think as they've been hired in different departments and, and kind of spread throughout the panhandle, I think it's just 
we're, we're very fortunate in that regard, but I think it's kind of like iron sharpens iron, you know? And then, so then it turns into like a little bit of a competition thing for the fire chiefs because well, so-and-so's departments, you know, Oh, I remember when VES was first coming out, like everybody's like, what the fuck? That, you know, that's a, that don't, we can't do that. That's a big city tactic. And, and then we started, you know, having a few departments do it. Now everybody does, you know, it's, it's not even questioned in the area, like people VES all the time, but, but it's amazing. Like how it starts small like that. It's just a group of people, uh, you know, kind of beating that drum. And then little by little, uh, I guess, like I said, you corrupt more guys and they, they realize like, Hey, there's more to the fire service than just my little piece of the pie. And you start realizing like there's a lot of guys that are in the same boat that just want to get better. So uh, combination, combination of, of some of the trailblazers, you know, guys that pushed the envelope in the past. Uh, and then I think now you just it's just kind of become, uh, you know, as more and more guys get exposed to this, this the training and the, and the outside speakers and stuff that uh, it's become kind of the norm, I guess, is is the way I look at it. I don't know, man. It's a. Uh, I think part of it, too, is there's a lot of younger career fire departments. You know, they're not really set in their ways if that makes sense. Um, you know, it's not like you have a lot of departments that are, you know, hundred years old plus 50, you know, most of the departments in the panhandle as far as career departments go are less than 30 years old. So to let that sink in, uh, I think that's part of it too, is still trying to find their culture and identity. And now over the course of the last decade, I think that culture has definitely shifted to being very fire pro fireman, uh, suppression heavy mindset, uh, that, uh, I'm, I'm proud of, man. I'm proud of the culture that we have here. So that was a beautiful description. I liked how you're talking about how passion can be contagious. And then also for newer fire departments, younger fire departments, the fact that they're newer, that almost inherently breeds some flexibility uh, of thought and, and creativity of thought. And, and I think that's pretty cool to, that, you, that you brought those up. Also giving love to, to Chief Ike and, and everybody else, all the movers and shakers um, in your area. Um, okay, you've been a firefighter, driver, captain, what position is or was your favorite? Yeah, so uh, that's, I mean, <laughs> it's easy to say firefighter. I think just because you get to, know, you know, not a lot of responsibility, man. Just go have fun, do fireman stuff. Um, I know I get, I, I get a lot of crap for this this comment. I got crap on this from Corley, um, but I honestly enjoyed being a driver uh, a lot, and 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 the main reason was because. I felt like I got to dabble in both directions. So I get to work overtime as a fireman still, you know, and I'd also get to ride up as officer. So I was kind of in between and I felt like, you know, it was a good spot. You know, the only thing that the only time I didn't like being a driver <laughs> sometimes was like, there's a good first two job. Then I was like, man, you know, you want to be that guy, you know, going in the front door. But, but it, overall, I think the position was just, it was, it was great because it, it taught me a lot about kind of growing up and being responsible and realizing you have other people that are dependent on you. Uh, and it was kind of that good in, in between, you know, the guys would talk to you cause you're not the, you're not the boss, you know, but at the same time, the boss would talk to you because you're not the, the dudes in the back seat. So it was kind of, it was a good uh, mix to both worlds. I was able to ride both directions, you know, both as a fireman and an officer. So I was loving it. Um, and I guess being in a suburban department, that was the, the benefit of it. Now, you know, uh, that being said, um, you know, I, I overall, I think uh, the best seat in the house. So, man, it's got to be riding company officer, man, just because you, you're getting to teach and, and train and, you know, help people get better. And you're still getting to do some of the fireman stuff to some degree. But, it, you know, uh, you it kind of gives you the ability, the flexibility to kind of set your schedule a little bit, set your training plan. Uh, and that's, I think to me, man, like I said, you know, I've only been an officer for a handful of years. 
Um, but I can tell you that it's, it, as far as rewarding goes, I think when it comes to making a difference in people's life and making them better in their careers, uh, the company officer definitely has, has, has grown on me, man. I didn't, uh, you know, I, I, I had some reservations about it, you know, as far as, you know, am I, am I the guy to do this or whatever? Um, and, and obviously you make some mistakes early on in your officership, but, uh, like I said, um, the most fun position I would, I would honestly say, like I said, it was driver for me, but the, the most impactful position where I felt like I've been able to make the most impact on people has been in the company officer position. Um, so, uh, I, I, I don't know, man, it's, a. Uh, I think if it was, you know, if I was in a different setting, maybe if I wasn't able to ride both ways as a driver, I wouldn't say that. But in my department, like I said, it was it was great because I was able to play, you know, on, on all levels of the field, so to speak, on the rig. And uh, that's why I enjoyed it so much. But uh, I hope that answer. I, Cor Corley gave me shit, man. I told him I was like, I don't know, man, like the driver's kind of in that in between, man. There, and, and I was very passionate when I was a driver about being really good at it. So I was, man, I, I was not the guy that's sat on the pump panel and just pulled levers dude i was throwing ladders man throwing you know doing fire you know doing stuff by myself i had a lot of autonomy outside vent stuff i'd go around doing outside vent like i had fun with it dude so i don't know man um and maybe it's just our our department is uh very big on proactive drivers like you know doing outside vent throwing ladders like doing stuff i don't know i always had a lot, a lot of leeway as a driver to to do uh the job and that's why I enjoyed it so much. But like I said, as far as impact goes, man, uh, being the company officer has definitely been rewarding in its own sense because you get to see people learn and grow and kind of have a little bit of say in your tempo for the day and what gets done. And um, I think that's been, it's been challenging, but it's also been very, um, you know, good in the sense that it's helped me grow also, you know, getting to see what works, what doesn't work and, and kind of kind of gleaning stuff from other officers and, and being able to, you know, see the light bulb come on when you get that fireman, it's like, Oh, I got it. You know, or seeing other people get fired up about the job because you're passionate about training. Like that's, that's where it's at, dude. So I think that's kind of, it's shifted throughout my career. You know, as a fireman, I thought that was the best position on the job. And I still agree to some you know, point that I think riding tailboard some days, I, I would like to go back and do it. I, I, I love being a fireman, but, uh, more importantly, I love seeing people get better. And so being the company officer is the, the most, the best position for that. In my opinion, if you really want to, you know, change someone's course of their career, I feel like the company officer has so much influence in our, a young firefighter's career and they can kind of set the course for, for where they are culturally mindset and all that stuff. So, um, that's, that's my answer though. Like I said, the most fun I ever had was as a driver and the most, and the most, uh, you know, rewarding has been as a company officer. That was excellent. Excellent to hear. This actually kind of leads us into our next question. So you have a class titled uh, tactics from the left seat, not, not, not right seat, left seat. Correct. Um, can you give us uh, an elevator pitch for this class? What prompted you to make it? Um, you know, and cause in some departments, the driver is only responsible for, for getting water you know, to the nozzle or for setting the stick in your mind, what is the engineer possible for? Yeah. So, um, you know, for us, you know, coming from a, a department that originally was running two guys on a rig, man, uh, the driver was having to be extremely proactive. It wasn't just set it and forget it. Uh, and so, uh, early in my career by default, you know, I was in a suburban setting with, with limited staffing and was kind of pushed into, uh, step up driver role early, uh, you know, within my first year, they're like, Hey, you need to learn how to drive this truck. And so I remember like 
are you kidding me? I just, <laughs> I just got out of fire academy, dude. Like, I'm still trying to learn how to be a fireman. Now you want me to learn how to operate this truck? And the biggest thing I had driven to that point was a Mercury Tracer. So um, I was a little intimidated, man. I was young. I was 18 years old, and they're telling me I got to learn how to drive this this big bitch. And I was like, ah, uh, shit. So uh, needless to say, I had a very patient captain who taught me a lot of stuff um, and tried to get me ready. Uh, took the state classes, and I still felt very inadequately prepared. Um, got cleared coming off probation and it was like two weeks after I got cleared the captain took off and they stepped the driver up and they stepped me up and we had so it was uh, you know driver a new uh, newer step up officer a new step up driver and uh, a backseat fireman that had less than eight months on the job and of course this is my first time ever driving right and we catch a fire first do went to four alarms ridiculous dude i was like are you kidding me bro i was stressing out like you wouldn't believe trying to pump this fire and i was just i was overwhelmed to be honest with you and i walked away man and i was like i don't feel like that was ready for that so i was like man i need to get better well fast forward um i ended up going to navarre uh when they went career in 08 and i was hired it was it was two guys on the truck it was i was hired as a firefighter driver and so we were expected to get our stuff set and and if we were first due pack out and go get ready for fire attack so when the next engine got, you know got there that second engine's driver would take over the pump uh and yeah so long story short uh we got really good at multitasking and getting stuff done from outside vent to ladders to all this stuff the drivers were having to do all this stuff because that's that's the only one that we had outside you know yeah the officer the first driver going in to fight fire and the the second driver's doing all the pump ops for the initial operation from two engines having to run two different engines pumps because we were doing booster backup on 90% of our stuff. And, uh, so man, I, I was like, Holy crap. So I made a lot of mistakes. I made a lot of mistakes early as a, as a young fireman and driver. Um, the first five, six years of my career, uh, you know, as a step up driver. And then as a, you know, when I got uh, over to Navarre after about three years, I went over to Navarre and doing that. And, and I just, I just remember thinking, man, there's got, there's, there's, there's hardly any like, uh, uh, you know, advanced driver stuff that was out there at the time it was just the two state class the hydraulics and the apparatus uh classes and i felt that was woefully inadequate to actually prepare people for the street to make them good drivers and so i started like trying to learn from guys that i respected the senior drivers that i was around you know asking questions and kind of trying to get an idea of you know what the hell do i need to do to get better and so I started watching what these guys do. I started asking questions and I started looking for more advanced training and there wasn't really much out there, man. I was like, dude, what the hell? So, so school of hard knocks and asking questions and studying what I could and trying to learn, um, you know, kind of lit a passion in me. I was like, man, I want to get good at this. I don't want to be mediocre. I don't want to be the guy that guys are failing on the fire ground because I, I can't get them water or I can't get them, you know, what they need and make things happen. And so we had, we kind of developed early on before we got the staff and we got now, now we got four guys on an engine, but uh, you know, uh, early on, man, we learned a lot of stuff because we had to, we had to do stuff. We had to be proactive and that's kind of carried over to our culture now where guys are expected to be proactive drivers, meaning 
throwing ladders, getting tools to the door, you know, a lot of times establishing their own water supply, you know, if it's within striking distance, being able to, you know, kind of be that outside pseudo safety officer on initial operations before the chief gets there and outside vent and softening the building and you name it. Oh, very, very busy drivers. They're all over the place, man. Um, the first couple of drivers on scene, even though we don't need to have the driver pack out and go do all that stuff. Uh, typically those, those first couple of drivers are working together to get all that stuff done. And so um, being in a culture that emphasizes good drivers um, and, and trying to pass on some of the stuff that, uh, you know, we learned along the way, another captain and I came up uh, a few years back, we were having, had some turnover and we had a lot of new drivers that were just really, you know, struggling. And so we were like, we got to do something about this. We got staffing now, like we need to fix this problem. And so we put together an engineer development program in our fire department. And the intent of that was to pass on some of the stuff we'd learned the hard way uh, and, and stuff that we'd learned through experience and kind of street smart, tailored to our fire department program. So we put together this program and dude, it's been a game changer. It changed our, our completely changed our, our level of professionalism at the driver position, changed the, you know, the culture, the mindset, and it's been uh, used it for the last several years in our fire department to, uh, to kind of develop our drivers. And it's a long course, man. It's, that's not an easy accomplishment. It's, uh, it's really, we've stepped up the game, so to speak, uh, very extensive program. But with that, um, this is kind of what got me going with the left seat tips and tactics class was, it was the first class I ever taught at a fire conference down at the Great Florida Fire School. And what I, you know, when I was putting in for it, I was like, you know, I want to teach something that I know right that i'm very familiar and comfortable with uh, i was trying to stay in my lane right at the time I, I put the class together i was still a driver engineer um and i wanted to do something that was the stuff that all the stuff that i wish someone would have taught me early on it was all the stuff that i learned either the hard way or through other people's mistakes or you know through getting out and actually putting hands on stuff and so i started compiling it what started out as just basically a kind of a, a shotgun approach. Like I'm going to give you all the little tips and tricks and all the little things that I started making a list of all the stuff that I wish someone would have told me. And through that came more and more and more over the years. And then, you know, as we've, you know, now as an officer, as I've developed other drivers, I've been taking notes too, like stuff that I've learned through other guys, right. As I'm watching them and training them. And what it's morphed into is uh, the program that, that, you know, I have is, is really just that man. It is geared towards, you know, street level, the stuff that I, all the stuff that I wish someone would have sat down and, and made me aware of early on as a driver. And it's, it's not, uh, it's not out of an ISTA book. It's, you know, no knock on any of that. It is this street level stuff, stuff that works, stuff that's time tested, stuff that actually uh, I feel like matters. Um, and that's kind of, that's kind of where it came from, man. I, I was, I was very passionate about it as a driver and, and I was frustrated early in my career by some calls that I felt like I wasn't prepared for. And so my, my frustration turned to, Hey, I'm going to write some stuff down. And then it turned into, Hey, you know what, I'm going to share this with other people. And then through that, man, it's, uh, it's kind of taken a, you know, it's, it's kind of taken off with, with, you know, that as far as, uh, teaching it abroad, I've been very fortunate to be able to do the program now, um, you know, upwards, I don't know, 10 or 12 times, uh, over the course of the last few years in various places, um, you know, I've done it locally a few times, try to teach guys, but man, it's, it really is just, it's something I'm passionate about because I, I believe in proactive drivers. I believe in guys that, uh, aren't just there to pull levers and drive the truck from point A to point B. I want guys that are thinking that can, can get stuff done on the fire ground or whatever call we're running. Right. I don't want guys that are just 
getting me there. I, I want them to be proactive, be a part of the team and be the glue that kind of hold, holds the, the operation together, man. And that's, that's what it's about, dude. It's, it's really it comes down to you looking at stuff from the driver's perspective. When I'm pulling up to a scene, you know, we have always focused on what the company officer has to do, what the fireman got to do, but that driver facilitates all that, right? And driver's job is to anticipate needs and facilitate the operation, right? That's what we do. So um, that's, that's the thrust of the class, man, is being proactive, you know, being heads up, knowing what's coming next, right? And here's some little tricks and tips when things don't go right. And that's the other thing, a big part of the class, there's a whole section just on troubleshooting when stuff doesn't go right. How do you fix the problem? Because you're usually by yourself as a driver. Think about it. Ain't nobody standing over your shoulder, right? As a driver, right? All the guys are going to fight fire and do stuff. Chief's doing the command stuff. And you're expected to deliver, whether it's ladders, whether it's water supply, whatever it is, that they expect you to get them what they need to do the job, right? And, and do it in a timely fashion. So what happens when things go wrong? So that's a big part of it too, is taking the things that, that I've had happen to me, <laughs> failures of mine and saying, hey, this is kind of, this is what I, you know, I learned the hard way on, and this is what to do if you ever experience this and trying to share that with people, because I don't feel like there's enough of that that goes around, man. So um, I love it. I, I love the position when I was in it and I want, I want, now as an officer, I want other guys to not make the same dumb mistakes that I made just because someone didn't take the time to, you know, ever think it was important to show me, you know? And so that's kind of, that's the gist of it, man. I, I, I think that at the end of the day, it's uh I like to keep it very fireman, you know, savvy. I don't like it. To, I don't want, it's not a, it's not Nick Pepper, the officer talking. This is just a guy that, that learned some stuff along the way in the driver's seat. And I want it to be applicable to guys that are, you know, that they can take it back to their firehouse right now in use. I want it to be stuff that's immediately adaptable to their operation. And so that's kind of what it's tailored to is like, I want to give you guys, you know, everything that I, that I have that I felt like was useful. So uh, that's it, man. That's, that's the, the class in a nutshell. Um, and, you know, kind of what got me started going down the rabbit hole of, uh, you know, teaching abroad, uh, if you will. Well, I'm sold. I think your passion is, is palpable, even when people listen to you on this topic. And I think this is a topic that is sorely needed uh, across much of the fire service. I think too often when people think about what to teach a driver and what they expect from a driver is, you get me to the scene safe and you get water to the, to the nozzle. And that's yeah. about it. Um, and, and the idea, the concept of, of having a proactive driver is something that until you've had a proactive driver or until you've really kind of at least uh, thought deeply about what a proactive driver is, you don't appreciate it. And you kind of don't know what you don't know um, or what you don't have until you have a really good proactive driver. So I think everybody in this country could benefit from taking this class. Um, even if they're not a driver, now they know what to expect out of their driver if they're a company officer. Now they know what to expect out of their driver if they're a firefighter and what uh, what their roles and responsibilities truly are when they become a driver. You mentioned uh, earlier your bromance with the great Sean Duffy. <laughs> you two also have a class titled Ideas Over Egos, which is just a beautiful concept that transcends the fire service. Can you give us a little teaser on this class and the concept? Yeah, man. Um, you know, honestly, it was, was uh, born out of, out of just noticing, like, I don't know, man, like, it just seems like guys get so wrapped up with personalities that they, you know, um, they let their ego get the best of them. And, and the fire service is notoriously bad for egos. Uh, it, it just is. We get, we get these, you know, people that, uh, and, and we start really 
start filtering stuff based on who somebody is or whether we like them or not and all that stuff instead of listening to the message or the concepts are being relayed and i found myself on the receiving end of this where you know uh you know guys guys take things the wrong way or they think because you're passionate about training or you're you know whatever um and and i think really the concept is the you know uh, steve jobs kind of put out the, the the saying that uh the best organizations, you know, ideas, uh, ideas win, the best ideas win. Um, and that's kind of the gist of the class is like, how do we overcome our own uh, egos and bias and build a culture where uh, we're more concerned about ideas than we are about who's giving the idea, you know, if that makes sense about personalities and egos and, and who's right or wrong or anything like that. So that the whole gist is, you know, uh, overcoming some of those those natural biases that we we develop especially being type a personalities in our firehouses and how do we build how do we build a culture where people you know value concepts and they and they value uh they can filter out the the, the personal beefs and vendettas and all the bullshit and politics and say hey you know what let's let's put it to the test let the best idea win in whether it's in training whether it's in tactics whether it's in the, you know, the firehouse uh, culture and the way we do business. Uh, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter whose idea it is. We just want the best idea to win. Excellent. Um, so I remember I was uh, surfing through the book of faces and uh, I saw, I saw you had like a, a, a hose load that you guys are playing around with. Uh, I believe it's like a, a modified Gustin, you know, it's got some straps on. It looks like it's about 200 feet. Uh, just in, in case there's other engine nerds like me out there, you want to give uh, fill in the people on that? Yeah, man. Uh, so historically we've been a triple layer department, triple and flat load. Um, and uh, some ideas got kicked around with some bundles. We had looked at some modified Gustins or uh, not Gustin, but uh, Minuteman, uh, some different things. And our trucks, the way that are made, um, not the most spacious uh, cross lays. Um, so we needed, we tried the, uh, the, the, you know, modified flat bundles. We tried, you know, modified Minuteman bundles. And we were just having a hell of a time with our truck specs to get them to pull clean. And so after like three or four hours one day training, try, trying everything we could to make this modified Minuteman work uh, and, and in our apparatus with the straps and the bundles and everything. And uh, we were just like, man, we got to do something different. Like this ain't working. And uh, we tried every which way. So it was kind of by accident. Uh, one of the firemen's like, hey, we have these Gustin packs on our truck. What if we just don't put the last fold in and leave it basically as a Gustin pack without the last fold where it's basically just it's six feet long, you know, uh, the width of our cross lay tray. And so we just flat load uh, the, the first hundred feet and then have a basically a modified Gustin pack uh, bundled for the last hundred feet. And I was like, Hmm. So we're like, let's give it a whirl. See what happens. The first couple of times it was like a little shaky, but it was like, Hmm. So we're like, this has promise. It's got some, you know, the concept is good. We already know how to build a Gustin pack. So making a modified Gustin, just not putting the last fold over in it uh, made sense. We're like, Hey, we can do this. So what happened over the next couple of months was uh, all I've never seen so much uh, uh, enthusiastic training from across all three shifts in the fire department, because everybody was kind of putting, you know, trying different stuff man. because nobody really knew how it was going to go. So we tried putting loops in on the flat load. We tried different ways of loading it, uh, long and short. So we have some, something to pull on nozzle up, nozzle down, 
uh, dude, it was ad nauseum, dude. When I say that we pulled like 15,000 feet of hose in a couple months, I'm not even kidding. When I do, we, our, our crew personally pulled like 15,000 feet of hose over the course of a couple of months, uh, just trying to dial this, this new load in. And, uh, so we got to the point where we're splitting hairs. We, we, we figured out a way to load it. Uh, that was the most advantageous, uh, where we had a, basically, um, some pull loops. Uh, we end up loading it nozzle down and uh, we started it with a nozzle up we ended up with a nozzle down because then you don't have to flip the bundle over when you get to where you're going if you're back stretching so the idea was you just set it on the ground pop the straps grab the two pole loops and flip them back and you're there you don't i mean it's super super quick and so the real test for us was like hey we you know because we're getting a lot more apartment complexes townhouses things like that we needed something that was a little you know give us some versatility in those settings uh with stairs things like that that the triple was kind of weakened um so we wanted something bundled. We wanted something to get it up off, you know, the ground, get it on our shoulder. And so we started playing with it. And um, so then we had to put it to the test. So we started going out to, you know, different calls, false alarm stuff, started pulling it on different settings. We started purposely putting obstacles in the way and creating like, you know, scenarios, recreating scenarios that we had. And uh, the guys kind of dialed it in, man. They got it where front stretch, back stretch, it didn't matter. We could, you know, it's very versatile, uh, very compact, sits on your shoulder good. And, uh, so long story short, man, uh, we got it dialed in, uh, we, we were kind of back forth on nozzle up, nozzle down when the, the way we loaded it. Uh, so what we have, uh, you know, what we ended up with was a hundred foot flat load with, uh, the, once you get to the 50 foot mark in that flat load, we put a loop on each side. Right. And then we'd have that all flat loaded up. We'd hook it to the modified Gustin and, uh, you could pull from either direction. It didn't matter. You put it on your shoulder, but basically the concept was you put the bundle on your shoulder. And, uh, you know, with the nozzle facing forward, whichever side you came off, didn't matter. Just put it on your shoulder with the nozzle facing forward, take two steps. You turn around, you grab the loop on the flat load and you clear the bed in 50 feet. You clear the entire 200 foot bed. And what you're left with is a hundred foot bundle on your shoulder, which depending on where you're going, how far you got to go, you can either front stretch. If you got, you know, if your flat load runs out, you can front stretch to the door or you have hose to eat up. You could drop the bundle at the front door, pop the straps and back stretch. Uh, what we found is it was more compact than the modified Minuteman or the modified flat loads. Uh, very compact. You didn't have to walk it all the way back. You could kind of take a step back and then flip the hose loops back, and it would naturally just pay out uh, in a nice, beautiful S shape, uh, uh, M shape rather, at the door. The other thing that was nice about it is more often than not, we were able to get both the 50 and the 100 foot coupling close to the door. Uh, which was really advantageous for us when we had bigger houses, um, which kind of, like I said, man, it took a life of its own. Uh, the guys really seemed to like it, um, uh, but it's it's a very versatile load, and it was kind of discovered out of frustration with not being able to get the modified Minuteman to, to fit the way we wanted it to. Um, and I won't take credit for creating it because it really it was a fireman that came up with the idea that was you know had been pulling hose for three hours, and he's like, Hey, this ain't working. Can we try something different? And I was like, Hey, go for it, bro. And uh, so, uh, you know, those guys really did the work. Uh, I was just very fortunate to have some guys that were relentless and not willing to take mediocre uh, for, you know, a solution. They wanted to come up with a solution that works. So, uh, very, very good load. Like I said, man, I, I personally, uh, that if I had a preference on hose load, that would be, um, you know, having, having a bundle load. That's, that's the one I seem to, you know, uh, really, really like what we came up with, thought it was, uh, worked as good as any bundle I've ever pulled. And I've pulled a bunch of them. Um, I just feel like it's very versatile, like I said, and it's easy to load. It's easy to load the concepts there. It's not a hard teaching curve because most people that have ever seen Augustine pack, 
um, can put it together in about two minutes. So um, low profile, easy to pull, comes out of the tray clean, uh, and is very extremely user-friendly to deploy um, was kind of the selling points for us. That was a very good job uh, explaining that. I think anyone who is listening could, could picture exactly what you're talking about there. Um, and I think that was nice because we gave all the engine nerds uh, something nice for them. <laughs> and, and now I'm going to go back to the truck side. Uh, but you wrote an article recently that was published in, I think, the September issue of Fire Engineering. Uh, it was titled The Long and Short of It, Maximizing Primary Search on the Suburban Fireground. It's about searching as the first in attack line. Can you describe your train of thought with, uh, with this article? Yeah, so... Um... You know, in the suburban setting, we, you know, we run single company houses. We don't have uh, truck companies rolling out with us. Um, our, our nearest truck companies uh, currently is a mutual aid fire department. And for my first due is coming from two districts over. Um, so what we found ourselves, you know, what we find ourselves more often than not doing is we have to do truck work off an engine a lot, you know, especially the second engine. Uh, if we had a four man engine on our second due, we typically split between search and vent. Uh, to assist the, the operations on the fire ground. Um, so, but what we, what we, you know, had found is, you know, doing an engine search off the attack line as we go to the seat of the fire based on statistics uh, from firefighter rescue survey, of course, um, we're, you know, was it 20, I think it's 26% of uh, victims are found by the uh, primary attack line, you know, stretching to the fire because they're going down main arteries, right? They're going to the fire, to the most affected, you know, most dangerous place uh, in hallways and, in, you know, passing bedrooms, pass, you know. So it, by default, you know, the engine company stretching is, is finding victims statistically uh, on the fire ground. And so, um, you know, we'd kind of talked engine search uh, off and on for years. I mean, we've, it's something we've kind of informally done. Um, but never really put a name to it or anything like that. And never really, it was always one of those things he had differing opinions on whether you go to put the fire out and search back from the hand line, uh, you know, back from the fire, from the, from the nozzle back or search as you go, as you're making the advance. And I, and what it came down to is it was really situational. Um, but, but here's the thing, what, you know, our, our objective is, is, you know, yes, we're trying to put the fire out, but we also want to find and remove victims as quickly as possible. So, we're like, you know, obviously we have a job to do uh, if we don't have confirmed, you know, victims trapped and, uh, you know, we, we don't have a definitive location on a victim, which, you know, oftentimes, you know, hey, there may be someone in there. That's all we get. Right. Well, the best thing we could do a lot of times is go put the fire out. That's true. But if we can also simultaneously at least search a portion of the residents on the way to the fire, then we're clearing more, you know, we're clearing more ground faster. And the idea is that the first U engine is initiating a search of sorts uh, on the way to the fire uh, with the, the intent of, we're still trying to put the fire out, but we want to make sure if we get any victims along the way that we're getting them out. And so what it ended up being is we had some new guys and I'm trying to explain this to them. And I'm trying to like, how do I explain this? Uh, where we're not trying to do full primary search. Your, your job is still fire attack, but we want you to search areas that are in close vicinity to the, the hand line on the way to the fire. And so I drew, I'm drawing this on a whiteboard and I'm trying to explain this to new guys. And I, it dawned on me, I'm like, you have a, essentially by default on most residences, when you stretch a hand line, you have a short side and a long side. The short side is the smaller geographical area between the hand line and, and the fire, right? And then you have the long side, which is everything past it. So case in point, uh, the video I did for fire engineering, uh, I use my, my house, my wife, didn't know I was stretching through our house until she came home and saw me stretching a hand line in her house. But, uh, but, uh, 
the, you know, my kid's bedroom, typical ranch house, right? 2000 square foot ranch house. Uh, the kid's bedrooms are off to one side. The master bedroom's on the other side. And we were simulating that we had a fire in the back bedroom, right? In the Bravo Charlie corner. Uh, so what I was showing, you know, in the video and the concept is this hand line naturally creates a line literally uh, in the, in the structure, right? It creates a short or a smaller geographical area inside the hand line, right? And everything on the other side is kind of the bigger part of that rest of the house, right? And so our concept was like, hey, we're not asking the engine company to search the whole house. That first engine still got to put the fire out. But if you got a capable nozzle man that is capable of moving uh, the line, you know, and, and as long as, you know, they can keep moving and we can keep being hosed, why can't we search rooms as we go? Why can't we search that smaller geographical area that doesn't take us way off the hand line? We're still in voice contact. We're still, you know, why can't we just clear some of this, these, these areas as we go, especially with a four-man engine? We got four guys on the truck. The irons guy knows, load the door, man, you know, load up some hose, get some hose inside. And start searching you know and so it's one of those things that kind of evolved and, and as i was describing it to these new guys i'm drawing on the board i'm like that's it long side short side man look and so now when we go to a fire it's like hey we're going to search the, the short side with the understanding that second new company coming behind us is going to search the long side they're going to basically take that larger area and do a primary search or ves or based on tactics and things like that um but you know it really became a, a just a, a easy way to describe. And it just dawned on me, like, I've never had anybody tell me like that, that language per se. We've always talked engine search, but it was just like, you know what, this makes sense. So now we start, we take, so what I'll do with guys, I'll take a, a you know, go online and print off like uh, floor plans. And I'll just take a marker and like draw a line. Okay, fire's here, boom. Okay, where's your short side? Where's your long side? This is the area we're going to search as we go to the fire and explain it to them like that. And you can do it with damn near every residential layout, man. It, it just, it works even in some of your commercial layouts. Uh, and the idea is, you know, we're not trying, we're not worried about the, the 70% on the long side. We're worried about the stuff immediately around the hand line and on the short side of the line, the, the smaller geographical areas that we can search. And that's kind of what it came down to, man, is like, Hey, you know, if we can clear a couple bedrooms, a bathroom, you know, maybe something like, you know, or, or, or yeah, a, a toy, you know, a kid's room or something like that on the way. Why not? Why not clear the room? Start the search process sooner. Uh, and so our game plan is it really depends on, you know, like I said, the, the fire conditions and, and based on, uh, you know, manpower. But, but what it comes down to is, you know, if we can effectively still move hand, the hand line forward and put the fire out, if I got a good nozzle man and I see he's got a knock on the fire. I ain't worried a bit. He's got it. You know what I'm saying? I got enough line up behind him. Cool. I'm going to branch off. I'm searching, man. And we're going to clear this stuff as fast as we can and let that second due company officer coming in know, hey, man, we got the short side. And they know immediately, don't even don't even screw with it. That first due company's already searched this and they can focus now on, on you know, other parts of the house that have not been searched. But it just allowed us to kind of speed up the search process. You know, we always talk about life safety being our priority, right? And sometimes that means putting the fire out. And sometimes that means, you know, you know, searching and, and sometimes it means doing both. And that's kind of, that's the thought process is in, in the suburban setting where we don't have extra manpower right on top of us sometimes is how can we at least start the process of trying to find life, um, you know, before we have that second company. And so there's been numerous fires now where, you know, we've, you know, conducted and cleared the whole short side before the second company ever makes entry. So um, it, it, it does work. It's, it's, it is effective. Um, and like I said, as long as you train your crew and they understand, you know, the nozzle man understands his role is keeping that nozzle moving and putting water on the fire. That's the big thing is you got to have assignment discipline uh, that guys got to know that there's a point where we may have to let's put this let's snuff this fire out. Yeah, if you have a large victim and I don't if we only got three on the truck that day, 
uh, it may be one of those things where we let's put this fire out real quick and then pull, you know, finish pulling this victim the rest of the way out if it's a large victim. Or, hey, if it's a small victim, I'm going to take follow the line. I'm going to pull this victim back out real quick, hand them off to my driver. OK, and uh, and, and basically go, you know, right back on the line. So, it, you know, people say, oh, that's you know, that's not safe. If you're leaving your nozzle in by himself. But again, it comes down to your trust and your nozzle in that he's able to, to flow and, and move water. You know, um, it, you know, people throw rocks and say you know you should wait till you knock the fire down to do it um to some degree there's some truth to that if you have a fire that's well involved that you really need to get a good knock on to to make it tenable you know where you can buy some time uh you know we'll do that sometimes you will search back from the nozzle like i said it's not always you always have to do it only this way uh but the concept's still there we're still searching the short side regardless of whether we search on the way to the fire or on the way you know hit the fire and then work our way back uh, it really is situational based on experience, the nozzle in, and then, uh, you know, just conditions in the building. Uh, there's two things that I really liked about this article. The first one was just the simplicity of the verbiage that you use, the long side, short side. Once somebody hears that and it's it's described to them what that means, it's pretty darn intuitive. And it's a great way to communicate like, hey, fire's knocked down. We got the short side search. Everybody knows what you're saying in a matter of words. And now they know Right. what they're responsible for. Um, so I thought that that was, was just beautiful. I mean, it's so simplistic um, and, and beautiful there. And the other part that I liked is that you got, as you already just alluded to, you got out of head of kind of the obvious criticisms that anybody might have for this, which is you have to put the fire out first, right? When you were saying, well, conditions are going to dictate that. So you got out ahead of that. Um, and I think you did a good job of explaining your rationale for your decision-making process there like what are your trigger points for going and putting the fire out first you know you have a bigger fire you have maybe a newer nozzle firefighter or on the inverse of that you have a uh, you have conditions that aren't as severe and then you have a really experienced nozzle firefighter maybe it's a little bit it's just like doing a split search right you can get a little yeah. bit more loose right now because you're more comfortable and conditions are allowing you to so uh, I thought you did a really good job with that article man yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate it, brother. Like I said, I just, you know, I, it was an easy way for me to kind of explain it uh, to new guys. And I just felt like, you know, it was one of those things that, you know, it's it's not a new tactic because there's plenty of departments that have been doing engine searches for a long time. Um, but it was just a way to explain it in a way that kind of geographically divides the house up, makes it simple for a new guy coming in like, hey, this is what we're talking about. And that was kind of the gist of it. And, and even the uh, ex the example I used in the article uh, we, you know, we made a fire where, you know, I have an experienced nozzle man. I put the tick in front of his face. He gets a quick look at what he's got, starts hitting. And as soon as he's, I mean, as soon as he opens the nozzle and I know that, okay, within seconds, I know he's got this, right. I've searched the short side. I'm branching off. I'm kind of splitting off the line a little bit. I'm, and, and it's the whole, the whole concept is like, you know, before the second do crew ever got there, we had, we had pulled a pet out, gone back in, you know, he's got the fire, he's knocking stuff down. So it, you know, really, you know, when you think about it, it's what's the goal, what's the goal on the fire ground, right. Is to save lives, save property. And if we can do both fairly simultaneously, then we're winning in my opinion on the fire ground. If we can, if we can save lives and, and put the fire out and make it better for everybody and, and, and save, you know, what property we can, then we're winning on all levels. Right. So that's kind of, that was kind of the gist of, you know, the, the tactic for us is, you know, especially with short staffing when we don't have, you know, dual houses, things like that is how do we get this process started and start making the most, you know, most bang for our buck, so to speak on the fire ground. Yeah, no, I, I, I think you did an excellent job. I think you did a great job explaining it here. And 
I, th- I think the biggest thing that people should take away is, you know, it, it doesn't matter what company you're on, you know, uh, RIT, anything, everybody searches, right? Like yeah. that's, that's our whole mission. I mean, there's, there's, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things I actually want to play off on this, you know, like uh, if, if you take a look at the survey, you know, uh, victims are found like 47, 48%, you know, in, in the bedrooms. So everything else, you know, like your foyer, your hallways, your living room, your dining room, most hose lines go through those areas when they, when they make the front or the rear door. So like that is the engine's job. Right. And I'm like, you know, for, for people being worried about, you know, their, their nozzle and being left alone, you literally have the fire putter outer in your hand. <laughs> like, you know, if, if fire is impending on you, put the fire out, you know, cause yeah. it's, it's not the, it's not the duration that's, that's killing people. It's, it's the dose. Like to, to, to easily explain that I could light like three pallets in a room on fire and go in there and fucking sit in the corner. And I'm going to be completely fine as long as I'm laying down right now. If the more contents of the room, the carpet, uh, clothes and all that stuff start catching on fire and then the smoke gets worse and chunkier and it, it doesn't matter if I put water on it or not. Yes, they're, they're not going to burn, but the minute I put water on it still, I still have smoke, right? So smoke is what's going to kill them, you know, 80% of the time, probably. <clears throat> so we got to get to them. Everybody's got to search. That's got to be everyone's number one priority, you know, whether you're engine or truck. So I thought you did a bang up job and, and thank you for, for explaining that. Yeah, man, I, I appreciate it, dude. It's, uh, you know, um, I think at the end of the day, man, you know, we always hear truck, the truck's job is to support the engine. Right. And to some degree, when it comes to like putting fire out, that is very true ventilation, things like that. But when it comes to search, really, what is the hose line doing? It's assisting the search, right? It's making, and, and there's times where we've had this conversation, like, I'm perfectly okay with a, a, a nozzleman holding their ground, meaning we're, we may not be able to move in right away because we're affecting a rescue or a search, right? Um, but hold their ground. And sometimes that's, that's all that needs to happen, right? Sometimes that's all that we need is, is to buy us some time with that hose line so we can conduct the search, right? You got heavy fire, right? We may have very limited, a very small window to get in and get out, right? And so the idea is like, hey, you know what? You may not be able to move in by yourself and put this fire out. That's fine. I'm not asking you to just hold, hold your ground case in point. I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you a case in point. This is a tactic in the last couple of years that we've started kind of training on in my, in my company is townhouse fires, right? Where are the bedrooms in most town, two-story townhouses upstairs, right? So you usually come in the door and you have stairs immediately to the left or the right, typically in a townhouse, right? And most of the time, your, your living room and your kitchen and all that stuff is downstairs. And then you have bedrooms upstairs, some bathrooms, uh, at least in my, my you know, area. That's the typical 90% of the time that's the layout that, you know, there may be a little bit different configuration here and there. But for the most part, the, the general concept applies. So, uh, you know, we've trained on this several times now where we have a three-man engine company because we're riding, you know, a man down for the day, Right. And we get a fire with, you know, a kitchen fire or a fire in the living room on, on the first floor of a townhouse, right? Uh, we, it's two in the morning and we, need to, and we need to make we need to make a search because we're the victims, right? They're going to be in the worst possible spot, which is above the fire in, a, in an open artery with a stairwell that's not closed off typically, right? Going to the second floor. And so we need to get these people out, right? And so the, one of the tactics that we've kind of started training on is the driver, you know, our drivers put their gear on. 
when they show, you know, when they, when they go to a fire, they have their gear on. And then when they get there, if there is a delay on the second or third year companies, they put their air packs on. And I think, you know, where I'm going with this, but having the driver pack up and simply take a hand line and just get inside the front door and use the hose line, not to go in and final extinguishment, but just hold the damn fire and check, hold the stairs, protect the stairs, let the fireman and the officer get upstairs and do a search. That's the whole, the whole gist. And, and what is it doing? The, the, the tack line at that point is not, we're not even moving in for final extinguishment. We're talking about a driver on air in the front door, just holding the stairs. He's not and people are like, Oh, he's by himself. Dude, he's five feet inside a doorway on a hand line. And he's not moving in for extinguishment. All we're asking him to do is use the reach of his stream, set the pump, use the reach of his stream to simply protect the stairwell long enough for us to clear the second floor. And people are like, Oh, you can't do that. You can't do that. That's crazy. But is it really crazy? I mean, is it really <laughs> to, to take a hand line and use it to protect your, your stairwell long enough to conduct a search? Listen, if the search is negative, we come back down, the nozzle and the officer grab the hand line and go finish the fire off. But what we're finding in most of our townhouses with that, you know, with a 7 smooth smoothbore on the end of that hand line, we can use the stream and literally touch the other side of the townhouse. From the, from the front door, you could usually direct a stream and hit all the way to the double sliding doors on the other side of the living room. So that a lot of times that that driver simply by holding the stairwell, even if he doesn't move in in final extinguishment, can knock out the bulk of the fire simply from flowing a line in the door. And, you know, again, we're, we're doing two things at once, right? We're putting water on fire and we're protecting our search. And that's the whole, the whole point is, you know, even though it's a different configuration and we're not doing, you know, long side, short side per se, but, but in a way, you know, we, we kind of are, you know, we're taking, we're basically just taking it at a vertical level, right? We're going to search the area that, you know, he's, he's just using the whole hand line to cut off the fire and put a line, if you will, between the fire and the, and the victims. And that's all we're trying to do, you know, and searching, you know, and if he can listen, and here's the thing, if he can hold the fire for two minutes, three minutes, how long does it take to search a typical, you know, couple, two, two, maybe three bedrooms on the top floor. Can we clear those rapidly? I, I would say so. I mean, our average search time for clearing a room is no longer than 30 seconds for a residential room uh, for primary search. So even if we have three rooms, you know, in making the stairs up and down, we're talking less than less than five minutes easy, right? Way less than five minutes, uh, typically in the ballpark of three minutes. Uh, so, you know, for us, I mean, that's, you know, maybe it's not orthodox, but it gives us the ability to protect the search. And that's what we, you know, we, we look at the, the attack line is, as a, is a tool to support the search, whether that's, you know, putting the fire out, you know, a guy holding the, or, or holding the fire, confining the fire so that we can just affect the, the search and rescue operation, you know, and that's what it comes down to is, you know, we want to get in and get out as fast as we can. And, and you know, and if we can simultaneously put that line in operation, cause that's, that's my thing is this, you know, if I can get a second searcher on the, on the second floor with me, right. If I can take the driver and put him in the doorway on a, on a, on a uh, hand line, for a couple of minutes till a second view company arrives and I could take a firefighter with me. Number one, there's a team of two up there and we're clearing more ground faster. Number two, if we find a larger victim or multiple victims, we have multiple rescuers that can then remove and start working on removal of the victims. Right. So I'm um, not saying that that's the, the game plan every time, but it is certainly a viable option uh, with a, a first floor fire in a townhouse. So uh, that's just, a, you know, another case in point of using the reach of your stream and your, in your, you know, your attack line is a tool to facilitate search. So while the truck does support the engine in the sense of fire attack with ventilation, things like that, utilities, stuff like that, uh, 
when it comes to search, I feel like the engine really does support the search. That's that's the whole point of the attack line is to make it either A, make it better for everybody by putting the fire out or at least at a minimum, hold their position so that we can at least get in, get out, do a search and get victims out, right? So that's kind of my thought process. That's where my mind gravitates to as, a, as an engine guy. I love putting water on fire. Uh, I love making the push. There's nothing better than a good push. But I can tell you this, man, like our mindset going to every fire is, you know, search. We, we need to make sure that we're either supporting the search by cutting off the fire or B, we're, uh, you know, kind of facilitating the search as we go to the fire uh, and making, you know, clearing that space faster. So, um, you know, I hope that I hope that makes sense. I mean, I hope uh, I know I kind of rambled a little bit there, but I, I do feel like you know, engine guys got to remember why they're on the job. Saving lives is number one, right? And sometimes that means, you know, supporting the truck so they can search, supporting the search crew, whether VES and whatever. Uh, there are There is a time for that. There's a time for, hey, we've got too much fire to, to probably put this thing out, but we're going to hold our position long enough to, you know, facilitate a search of quick VES, a quick sweep. Um, and that's something that gets lost in translation sometimes. Guys get in the mindset, I've noticed, where I'm on an engine, I just go put fire out. But really, it's all like you said earlier, Jeff, it's all of our jobs to be searching. And that is our number one priority is saving life. So if that means using that tool in our hand to confine a fire and just hold it in check long enough to, to do a search, so be it. If that means, hey, we move in and put the shit out, then even better, right? But ultimately, what is the goal? What is the goal, first and foremost, is saving lives first, then property. And, it, you know, that's, that's what it comes down to, man. It's you know, we, I think we overcomplicate it sometimes we, we get in the mindset that, oh, you know, truck needs to search or the rescue needs to search or whatever. It's all of our jobs, man. Life safety, property conservation, bottom line, fix, you know, pull the victims out, put the fire out. It, it, you know, and everything gets better, right? If we, if we get people out of the building and we put the fire out, problem solved, right? All the other stuff is peripheral to search and fire attack. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, okay, so when it comes to you know training and, and, and things like that in the American Fire Service, what do you think we're doing right and what do you think we're doing wrong? Hmm, that's a good question. Uh, I'm really encouraged by the access to quality training. Um, I think it's one thing we've got right right now. Um, in the last five to ten years, man, it has been just an explosion. It seems like every couple of weeks I see a new training event pop up on social media. You know, this group, you know, East Coast, West Coast, North, South, it doesn't matter. Everything in between, man, there's so many, so many great groups out there that are driving the fire service forward. Um, and, you know, when I came on the job almost 17 years ago, um, you know, there was FDIC and there's Firehouse Expo and there was Fire Rescue East and, you know, in Florida. And that was it. Like that's the only conferences that, that I knew about or anybody even talked about or ever went to. And most guys couldn't afford it because it was too much money, blah, 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 too far. Um, so what I'm really encouraged by is the amount of training groups that have, that have popped up in, in recent years to kind of beat that drum, man, and make it more affordable and accessible for guys to get, you know, like high quality reps, training, uh, instruction, brotherhood, uh, without having to spend an arm and a leg or drive a, excessive distances um so that's something i think as a fire service that we're doing really really well is you got a bunch of passionate guys who are thanks to technology 
and thanks to networking and resources, uh, able to kind of pool uh, together to, to develop high quality training programs, conferences. Uh, you got a great selection of podcasts out there now. You've got tremendous resources online, different websites. Um, dude, you name it. If you want good training and you want good instruction, uh, it's out there. You just got to go look for it a little bit, you know, and, and even then if you don't have to look far. Uh, typically you can find something within a day's drive of where you live in most, in most places nowadays, it seems like. Um, so I think that's one thing we're doing really well. Uh, as far as what we're not doing so well, what I think is spawned from some of this stuff, unfortunately it's the, it's the yin and the yang, right? Uh, as I think that in some, in some ways, um, you know, and I've seen this in some, and it's not everywhere, but I think, you know, there's, there's almost, how do I say this? Uh, there's, there's become almost this, uh, this groupie uh, mentality in the fire service based on like which group you run with. <laughs> um, and I think in a way that uh, when you're going back to ideas of egos and stuff like that, that concept, um, I think that there's a fire service, we could do a better job of, of, you know, policing ourselves, our own egos and, and not in, in remembering why we're doing what we're doing, you know, and not being so worried about, you know, that, uh, uh, you know, who's, you know, whose group this guy's running with or that guy or whatever. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we all have our buddies and our guys that we, we, you know, are close to, but what I'm saying is the people that like, Oh, you know, I only go to, you know, this guy's teachings cause he's the shit and these other guys, you know, and I, I bring that up because there's, you know, this guy does search, but this guy's doing search too. Well, he sucks because he's not with this guy. So screw that guy, you know, or, or this guy, you know, what does that guy know? He's, you know, he's not part of this group. So he, he can't know anything about engine work because he's, you know, he's not, you know, the, the God's gift to the fire service, you know, blessed by certain training groups or organizations. And I just, I see that as a problem. I see that as something as a fire service that in some ways we, we allow egos to blind us from, the overall big picture. And I'm just being completely transparent, man. Uh, I've seen both sides of it. I think there's a benefit to uh, being loyal to the guys that, you know, that you, that you run with. But at the same time, we also got to make sure that, you know, if we're trying to push the fire service forward, if somebody else has a good idea, even if it's not in our, in our group, so to speak, that we don't just automatically assume a negative position because they, they're not, you know, uh, part of the, the group that I run with. If, if I don't know if that makes sense, man, it's uh I just see it as a weakness. I think it's, it's something that is, if we're not careful, can actually do more harm than good because people get more caught up in who, who's who rather than what's what. That was a good answer. I like the, the second part of that, that a lot. Um, so you, you kind of just talked about the evolution of fire service training over the past couple of decades. If you had a crystal ball and could see into the future, what would fire service training and learning look like in 10 or 20 years? I'd like to, I'd like to believe that there's a, uh, a bit of a cultural revolution right now in the fire service to get back to our roots as, as firefighters in the craftsman side of the job. Um, I would hope in, in, you know, uh, 10 years that somehow we can take the, you know, kind of be the, uh, the warrior scholar kind of group, you know, I'd like to see our profession get to the place where we can, you know, um, be one with the research that's being put out by, you know, uh, various groups that are doing the research from, you know, UL, NIST, Firefighter Rescue Survey, using all that data to drive good decisions, but at the same time sticking to our, you know, getting back to our roots, if you will, of being blue collar craft, you know, a craftsman type of mindset when we're operating. So it's kind of, 
you know, people, I hear this all the time, man. People will be, well, you know, certifications and degrees don't mean shit. You know, it's all experience driven. Then there's other groups that are like, it's all about, you know, how many certifications and degrees and stuff. And, and I'll be honest with you, man, I think the answer is somewhere in the middle. And I know that may not be a popular opinion, but I believe that we have to understand concepts, theories in, in research and data and understand how to process that information if we truly want to get, you know, progress our, our craft to a place of, you know, what I consider the next level of training, the next level of fire service delivery. And, you know, let's be honest, man, like we don't just fight fires anymore. Like we do a lot of other stuff, but we've got to keep, in my opinion, to keep a very uh, strong grip, you know, grip on, on who we are, what, what is our core identity, right? Who are we at our core? We do a lot of extra stuff, yes, and, and we are public servants. We are here to serve the public in, in any way we possibly can to, to fix their problem, right? That's what we do. We fix problems, um, whether it's a fire, whether it's a, a vehicle accident, a medical call, rescue call, whatever we're doing, uh, the, the overall objective is to save lives and protect property in most fire department mission statements. However, uh, we cannot lose sight of the fact, while we do, I think there needs to be a certain level of professionalism and a certain amount of education and, and certifications to prove that you have some levels of competency. But I also think that they're, they're, we got to be careful not to try to make this a white collar job because it's not a white collar job. And so I think that, you know, it's again, going back to that whole analogy that, that uh, warrior scholar kind of mix is what I would like to see in the next 10 to 20 years where we can both, both can kind of reside in our training programs where we value higher education and in data and research and, and use that to our advantage, right. To make good decisions, but that we also remember who we are and remember that at the end of the day, all the plans in the world don't mean shit if we can't execute the tactical objectives that need to be completed on the fire ground or that whatever scene you're on, like all the plans in the world are great and all the papers great. But if you can't take that knowledge and translate that through wisdom into practical application on the incident scene, then we're failing. And that's where I think there's a big disconnect right now in the fire service. I think there's a huge, you know, uh, this, this divide, if you will, between the people that are more caught up in education and, and that kind of the side of stuff. And then the people that are just want to do fireman stuff and pull a hose and do searches and stuff like that. And I think really what it comes down to is we got to figure out a way to mesh those together where we get back to remembering, you know, that, Hey, this is a blue collar craft, but let's use that information. Let's use that research to drive us into the future and to make better decisions, to, to, to give us the best chance for success in the fire ground. And I think that they both can succeed together, but it's going to take a lot of work on the part of fire service instructors to, to kind of mold the two together, because I do think there's a big, a very big difference in opinion uh, on the fire service outlook as far as training goes uh, in the, in the fire service. Like I said, I, I work with guys that ah, degrees and certifications are bullshit. I don't need any of that stuff to be a good fireman. And while that may be true to some extent, um, you have to have a way. If you if you don't measure what you're doing, if there's no way to measure what you're doing, how do you really know if you're making forward progress, right? So that's where research data and all that stuff comes in. Like we have to quantify uh, the days of just like, like people are going to die and the house is going to burn down if we if we don't do this. Well, let's let's quantify that. Let's use real data. Let's use research. Let's use education, and let's figure out how to make that stuff translate to making better decisions. And I think we're already kind of in, heading in that direction. If you look at people changing 
uh, the, the way they, they search based on the data from the firefighter rescue survey, that's a perfect case in point, right? People have started to realize like, hey, let's target areas where we're going to yield the most positive results, right? So this just blind left-hand, right-hand search stuff, like, let's go to the places we know we're going to find victims, right? That's, that's a perfect case in point. Um, you know, if we figure out like, hey, you know, we got to have, there's a certain point, a threshold of, you know, water we have to deliver. And, and it's not really over minutes. Typically it's over seconds. That's, that's using information to make better decisions, right? Let's design attack packages that are maneuverable, that are able to deliver target flows that are able to actually extinguish the fire in a timely fashion. Um, you know, I, when I first came on the job, I had officers that we'd, we'd pull an inch and a quarter on fire. We should have pulled two and a half right from the get-go because they want to conserve water. So why has that changed over time? Well, it's because real life, people realize like you're just pissing in the wind. Like you gotta you gotta overwhelm BTUs with with GPMs, and so you know there's a happy medium there. But through trial and error and research and people taking the time to put flow meters on stuff and and actually trying stuff on the fire ground and seeing what works, what doesn't work through UL NIST, all these things that have kind of happened over the last ten years, we're starting to make better decisions with our attack packages, with our nozzles, with the way we, uh, you know, uh, kind of attack the fire, if you will, the way we search, the way we implement search, you know, um, it's all been a result of that. So I think they can coexist. I just think that as fire service instructors, that we've got to make sure that we, we have a very balanced mindset. And again, let the best, the, you know, let the best ideas win. Well, if it works, if this is what works better, then we got to take our egos out of it. And that's what I'm saying about the ego thing, you know, is people, people, oh, I want to stand on this pulpit. I, I will die on this rock. You know, even though someone could, you know, I've had guys tell me this, I've done it 20 years like this and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then there's data that proves that what they're doing is maybe not the most effective thing in the world, but they're going to die on that rock because they're too proud to say, you know what, maybe I need to rethink my, my approach to this. Right. Or maybe I need to have a more full understanding of this concept. And so, you know, that's what I think is, is one of the biggest challenges to the fire service as far as training goes. I think in 10, 20 years uh, with guys that are beating the drums that we're seeing now, there, there is a push to get back to the basics of firemanship. But what I love about it is it's, it's the, it, the, a lot of the new groups out there are pushing, making data-driven decisions, right? Making decisions based on what actually is working, right? And that's, I think that's a beautiful thing. If we can get to a place in the fire service where we mesh the, you know, gentleman and the scholar kind of mindset, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> dude, it's, that's where we got to be. And I think that we're, there, I think we're so close. We're so close to turning that corner in the fire service where we can kind of meld the two together and instead of fighting over who's right and wrong and all that stuff, let's just focus on what's right for the citizen. And if we do that, everything else will fall into place. Nice. <clears throat> now, this is probably, uh, this is the last question, actually, but this is kind of, mine and Ladine's favorite. Uh, it's, it's a four piece. So what's the best class you've ever attended? Best class. Man, I've had some good ones. Hmm. Hands-on or lecture, does it matter? Either. Either? Okay. Hmm. Man, that's that's a tough one. I've been some good, <laughs> that's some good ones, man. Um, I would have to say, 
um, and I, and, it, and this pains me to say this because I'm an engine guy, um, but I took a, a soup nut search Academy at Massey several years ago. Um, and the reason why I say it's the best class I ever took, number one, it was physically demanding, but it was also very practical, but it changed the way I look at, at the fire ground. And I think that's why I would say that just hands down, it just, it just challenged the way I thought about even fire attack, you know, engine search kind of got me going down the path with the engine search mindset and just the way that we approach search, um, I would have to say is probably one of the best classes I've ever taken. Just a good, you know, solid group of dudes, um, that was a good one. Uh, and, and probably if I had to throw another one out there, um, man, I, I dude, I, I shoot, dude, there's been, I took, uh, you know, I took a, uh, a class, uh, actually recently I thought was a really good one. That was eye opening cause I, I'm a kind of a, a driver nerd kind of guy. I like nerding out and stuff. Uh, the guys from the water thieves did a class up in Missouri this last year. And as far as recent classes, I, I was a kid in the candy shop. I was kind of nerding out. I think I walked around with a half chub all day just because we were moving a shit ton of water and doing some really cool pump shit. Uh, so, so is a, uh, on the driver stuff on, on that note, that's probably one of the best driver classes I've ever taken. Kudos to Andy and those guys. Uh, I, I literally was like a kid in the candy shop. So in recent time, I think that that was probably the most fun I've had in the class just because I was doing some cool shit that uh, I don't usually get to do. Um, but as far as impactful, I think, like I said, that that was early in my career that I took that, that search class at Mapsy when I first, well, earlier when I, you know, first started going to Mapsy um, and was kind of, it got me fired up. It got me fired up about why we do what we do again. And it was coming off the heels of me having that, that search, that rescue that we had with that guy. So it was the following year after we made that grab. Um, so it just kind of drove home the mindset for me. It, I took that class specifically because I wanted to be better at victim removal and search than I was on that fire. And so uh, I would say that that class, like I said, you know, bar none changed the course of my mindset, the way I look at training, the way I look at preparation uh, for that. And so that, for that reason, I would say, you know, it just challenged me. It was very, it was a good, it was a good kick in the nuts to, to kind of get out of my bubble and, and take my, my, you know, mindset to a whole new level. Excellent. Uh, what's the best conference you went to? Mm. I'm a little biased here. I'm just, I was gonna say North Florida Fire Expo, but that's that's extremely biased. Um, that's allowable. <laughs> uh, I mean, obviously, I, I I'm pretty partial to our our conference, but I I will say this outside of outside of uh, the local area. Um, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, like to this day and i don't know if it's because the first conference i ever went to but mafc for me has always been a fun spot man up till covid shutting it down man like i just I, the vibe's always been good the guys are always down to earth and i've always had a blast uh, a little partial to it because that's where i kind of started going to fire conferences um but i've always just felt like there's a good wide variety of you know variety of, of of conference uh type classes from lectures to hands-on a good vibe it's a fun city to hang out with you know with guys and uh we've always had a pretty good group from the uh, 850 area code go up there so there's usually 20 30 of us up there when when it's in full swing so it's always a good time man i just uh it, you know i enjoy the hell out of it i've always you know to me that's been one of the ones i've always tried to make every year that i can um so uh that's that's uh yeah that's my final answer <laughs> custom i'll put my answer yeah final final so Perfect. Um, all right. Uh, best book 
<clears throat> best book. Mm. Fire service or just in general? Uh, in general. I mean, it, it, it can be fire service, but if you don't want it to be, it's fine. Um, when it comes to fire service books, I'm, uh, you know, So, well, when it, in general, I think, uh, man, there's some good ones out there. Um, if I had to, if I had to recommend something to somebody, uh, I think extreme ownership by Jocko is, is one I always kind of try to point them to. Um, I thought that was a pretty good one. Uh, I really enjoyed step up and lead by Frank Pascuso and the, uh, full contact leadership just, you know, in recent years, um, man. How to make ship? Uh, how to make shit happen by Sean Whalen. Uh, if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. Uh, it is a no frills, no holds bar, no bullshit book that uh, it'll kick you kick you in the nuts and really give you a gut check on reality. Um, very very good book. It's not long. I, you could read it probably in a few days, uh, but very very uh, you know, as far as non fire service books go. Uh, probably one of the most gut-checking books I've read in, in recent times. Excellent. And then the very last one, what podcast uh, should we all be listening to? <laughs> oh, man. Can't be biased, man. I got make do. I, I'm partial again. But, uh, man. Um, hmm. What podcast? Uh, you know, like I said, you I like to make two suburban farming podcasts. I, I like some, there's quite a few good ones out there. Uh, let me see. Um, you know, obviously I, I mean, I listen to a lot dude. I listen to fire nuggets. I listen to the, the, uh, grabs podcast with Grant Schwalbe. Uh, I, I've always enjoyed that. Um, I listen to fit to fight fire, uh, John Spera quite a bit. Let me see here. Um, man, uh, real, <laughs> not real. Um, yeah, Real AF by Andy Frizzle has become a new favorite. Uh, he's the one that wrote the 75 hard book. It's a, it's a fun one, man. He's a no, no, you know, no bullshit kind of guy. Um, I listen to Jocko. Shit, man. I, I, man, if you're not listening to these guys, I, all, all of these groups are doing good stuff. All these guys are putting good material out there. Um, Fire Service, I highly recommend, you know, listen, just listen, find guys like, you know, I tell everybody, man. I listen to a bunch of different ones because I find so much good information out there, whether it's, you know, fire nuggets, whether it's grabs, whether it's fit to fire fire, to be honest with you, man, like I recommend circle, you know, circle through them man. get through, you know, listen to some of these podcasts because there's great information being shared. Um, you know, obviously uh, weekly scrap has become one of my recent favorites uh, the last, the last year, man, I've, I've really been digging on some weekly scraps. Uh, Corley's got a good flow to his stuff. So uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're all good. Uh, if, if you haven't listened to weekly scrap, I would check it out. Um, non-fire service. Like I said, though, uh, real AF with Andy Frizzla and then the Jocko, uh, the underground leadership, uh, podcast he does is, is really good. Uh, I feel like it's a little bit, uh, deeper than his, you know, the, the regular old Jocko podcast. He gets into some stuff that I feel like is more, uh, relevant in my opinion to, uh, the fire service in that podcast. So, uh, kind of a lot more parallels. It gets into the, the meats and potatoes of no bullshit, like getting, getting stuff done, you know, bleeding by example. So, uh, I don't know, man, I'm all over, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit of a junkie, 
when it comes to books and podcasts the last couple of years. I, it's been hard to put my finger on stuff, man. Um, but uh, I would, my biggest thing is just, just get out and listen to stuff, read stuff, man, and get outside your, your bubble and listen to, there's so many good dudes out there, man. Just, just, you know, uh, I've listened to a few, but there's so many other good ones out there, dude, that, you know, it doesn't take long, a little bit of searching, you can find some pretty good material. So uh, I just, I, I don't know, man, I, I like them all. <laughs> there's there's not uh, there's not too many that i'm just like i won't listen to um there's a few that i'm just like i can only listen to in small doses um but uh but like i said man um can it can do i get bonus points if i say fire nuggets is number one answer do i get do i get like a, a, a you know secret like handshake next time i see you or i think so i think jeff will buy you a beer next time oh okay well in that case it's, it's definitely fire nuggets <laughs> um those are good answers. Uh, I, I love hearing what everybody's favorite books are and podcasts and classes and conferences. Um, I hope other people get something out of this last question, but I know that Jeff and I definitely do. And, and we're kind of just selfish in that we keep this question in there um, because it's turned me on to some new shows. Uh, the Huberman Lab podcast I'd never heard of until we did this show. Um, uh, there's a couple other ones. Robert Sapolsky was brought up to me at one point. And so I like, I like this because I then go, I write these down as, as the guests are talking. And then as soon as I get some free time when I'm working out or whatever, I'm going to type in real AF tomorrow and figure out what that is. Cause that's a new one for me. Um, so I'm excited. So thank you for your, for your, for sharing right there. Um, we're, we're just about done right now. Uh, does the Jeff, uh, Nick, do you guys have anything else you want to add before we kind of sign off here? I just want to say thank you, Nick. Yeah, man. I dude, it's been uh been an honor to be on the show, guys. Um, I know I uh sometimes my I get rambling, I get excited about stuff. So I appreciate you listening to my my rants uh this evening. But uh, you know, here's the thing, man. Um if anything else, I mean, I you know, I, I want other people to love the job, man. I want other people to be into it. It's okay to nerd out on fireman stuff. It's okay to be into the job. It's, you know, uh, I think most guys that are passionate have found themselves in the crosshairs of the less than passionate and or uh, people who want to take cheap shots uh, on multiple occasions. And for anybody listening to the show, it, ignore that shit, man. Just, just keep doing what you're doing. Keep loving the job. Uh, you know, keep putting forth the effort to be better uh, because at the end of the day, you know, results speak louder than any words ever can, you know, and when you're producing solid results on the fire ground in, you know, in the firehouse uh, and in your career and in your life and doing things and making stuff happen, uh, you know, as long as you're doing it for the right reasons and, and trying to make other people better and make the fire service better, uh, you know, that's, that's all that matters, man. And the other thing is uh, keep your shit balanced, you know, and, and I say that from, you know, we talked about it my family earlier, uh, there was a time where I was way out of balance um, with the family stuff. And I'm, I, I'm not ashamed to say that. And so don't forget who's in your corner at the end of the day, when everything else like goes away and you're done and you're retired, who's still going to be there. Right. Um, you know, so hold to the, you know, your, your brothers and sisters that are close to you, your best, you know, your friends, the people that are in your corner, you know, hang on to the people that care, man. Don't worry about the people that don't, don't worry about the haters uh, cling to the people, you know, your, your wife, your kids, your family, uh, your, your friends that are actually there because they just they want to see you succeed and they want to see you do well um those are the people that matter everything else is just white noise dude just tune that stuff out and, and and grind on man because you know at the end of the day man you know you only get one go at this really if you think about it you know we're all going to either retire or be you know injured or something or get off the job at some point we can't do this you know till we die uh that's just not reality so uh, make it count 
make your 20, 30, you know, years, whatever you do in the fire service, you know, make it count, but don't lose sight of the fact that, you know, there's, there's people in your corner that make it possible for us to do what we do and, uh, you know, hold your family tight, love them, uh, enjoy, enjoy the ride, man. It's a hell of a ride. So. Amen. That's uh, it's beautiful advice for the fire service, but a lot of what you just said kind of transcends the fire service and, and speaks to, to the entirety of our lives. So that was beautiful, man. Thank you again, Nick, for coming on here. We really appreciate you sharing the message and spreading the cure. And for all the listeners, be sure to check out the Make Do podcast and the North Florida Fire Expo. Thank you, man. Thanks, brother.